0: Welcome and thanks for listening to the Sermon Podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. We continue our sermon series on the core values of First Pres. Today, Assistant Pastor Steve Page sheds a
1: new light on the core value of service. And what an important message it is for us Christians as we seek to be God's instrument of peace in a society that struggles greatly with hatred and sadness and despair. Now, along those lines, I want to begin with some wisdom I heard from an old movie recently. The other day, my wife and I are watching this movie that came out 28 years ago, which is hard to believe. But 28 years ago, just before we went to become missionaries in Thailand. And it's called City of Joys with Patrick Swayze. He plays the leading character. And it's about a young surgeon who became so utterly crushed and despondent from losing a child on the operating table that he ends up quitting his practice in the United States, takes off and he goes all the way to India and he stays at these ashrams and the like, trying to find some sort of inner peace and enlightenment, of which he finds neither. Now, before he leaves India, he gets stuck at this small hotel that's near a slum area. And through a string of events, he gets tied up with with the people's struggles of the slum and with this older British nurse who lives and works among them. But shortly into things, the doctor becomes so cynical about any help that he can give or how anything can possibly change there he, because he says that problems are just too numerous and the system of injustice that pervades the slums is just seems so impervious to change. So he just tells the nurse, you know what, I'm done, I'm taken off again. But the nurse, sitting him down, says something to him that is as deeply challenging as it is disruptive to my suburban Christian ears. She said that in the face of need and struggle, people have three choices in life. They can run, they can spectate, or they can be committed, committed to help. And over the last 28 years since that movie... My own bouts with cynicism about the many things that seem impervious to change. And I have come to realize that our response as Christians to such challenges is pretty much the, the same as those three choices. We can run, we can spectate from a distance with all our cynicism, or we can be committed to joining God in His mission to heal our world. Today we continue our series in the core values of our church. And there are five of them, and they spell out the acronym PATHS. That stands for presence of God, authenticity, thoughtfulness, humility, and service. Well, today I want to build on what Pastor Dan began to lay out last week as he talked about the value of service. Now, you should know that the word service in the New Testament is interchangeable with the word ministry. In the original Greek language of the New Testament, it's the exact same word, diakonos, where we get the word deacon. So when I speak to you today about, about reflecting on how you live out the value of service, What I'm asking you to consider is what is the ministry God has given you both inside and beyond the church? Beyond the church and all those places where you live and work and play and study. Now, because I know figuring out how and where to serve God through your particular life is often hard to discern. I'm going to spend a little more time later on about how to to figure it all out in practical terms. But before I get to the particulars and the pragmatics of our individual lives, I want to set our quest to serve in this bigger picture of God's mission in the world. You know, if I was forced to summarize the call of our lives as Christians in terms of the mission of God, I would say that we are all called to two huge but interrelated ends. And that is to be a disciple maker and a shalom maker. Now, I'll briefly define the former today, but I'm gonna drill down deeper on the latter since it may be less familiar. First of all, what's disciple-making? What do we mean by that? Well, at First Pres, we use this working definition. Disciple-making is that relational process where we care for and equip one another to love Jesus, to live like Jesus, to find wholeness and healing in Jesus, and to serve Jesus in his mission. These are the four crucial outcomes we seek to develop in and through the lives of each other as followers, as disciples of Jesus. Again, to love Jesus, to live like Jesus, to find wholeness and healing in Jesus, and to serve Jesus in his mission. But these outcomes, as marvelous and as ambitious as they are, are not the whole picture. Yeah, Jesus definitely made disciples, but he didn't just make disciples we must remember that Jesus always ministered beyond his disciples. And that's because he came into this world to increase shalom with as much intentionality as he did to create disciples. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't write me. I completely agree that a great part of Jesus' mission was to provide through his death and resurrection the means for eternal life with God. No question about it. However, if believing in Jesus in order to get to heaven was the only point of his mission, well... Then that leaves a lot of Scripture and a lot of what Jesus did incomprehensible. Let me explain a little bit more about shalom, and maybe this will make uh, more sense. Now, perhaps many of you already know the word shalom. It's often translated as peace. When we think of peace, we tend to think of it in terms of the ceasing of strife or the ceasing of war or something to that effect. And shalom does indeed include both of those things. But it's so much more. The most basic meaning of the Jewish word shalom is complete or whole. For example, the word can refer to to a simple stone that has a whole shape with no cracks in it. It can refer to a completed wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. It's a shalom wall. Moreover, shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces, but which exists in a state of connectedness, wholeness, and well-being. And this is why shalom is used in regards to people and societies because, well, let's face it, people are incredibly complex entities, chock full of pieces, as it were, as our nations and societies. So in this regard, shalom is about integration, about the reuniting of all of life, God and humanity, me and you, us and them, minorities and majorities, the powerful and the powerless, the well-off and the needy. In other words, it is the coming together of everything that has been fragmented away from God's intentions for wholeness and well-being. For example, think of all those directives in the New Testament about how the people of God are called to care for the sick, to care for the poor, the orphan, the widow, even our enemies. These people are all pieces of society that are fragmented away from the connection, the relationship, and the well-being with each other that God intended. Or think of when, when Jesus taught about healing the cultural divisions between, say, like the Samaritans and the Jews or when he went out of his way to include people like lepers and women and tax collectors and prostitutes and other socially marginalized people, and he brought them into the center, the center of his teaching, his ministry of what he was doing. Look, he wasn't just being nice. He wasn't just bringing in teaching and actions that were ancillary to the gospel. He was bringing into existence one of the central aspects of the gospel he preached. God's intended shalom For our broken world. Now now we see this messianic gold expressed powerfully in Isaiah chapter 61. It is from this chapter that Jesus read during a sermon at the beginning of his ministry to express about what his mission would be characterized by from that point forward. Let me read the fuller text and see if it resonates with this concept of shalom and how Jesus carried out his mission. It's in Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3, and it says this. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news. That is to bring the gospel to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and and release to prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. And they, those oppressed, brokenhearted, ash-filled, despairing people, will be called oaks of righteousness for a planting of the Lord for the display of His glory. Oppression, brokenheartedness, being captive, ashes, mourning, despair. These are all expressions of a person and a society fragmented, shattered, disintegrated into dehumanizing pieces. Now notice also the ministry of the Anointed One in this passage is not simply one of otherworldliness, but it is the radical inbreaking of God into the human condition in order to change it in its entirety towards wholeness. To change the person, the community, the the society, the politics, everything. To change all of it. See, when Jesus declared uh, in his preaching that the kingdom uh, kingdom of God has come, and and when he asked us to pray and, and told us to pray about your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, this is the stuff in Isaiah 61 that he was wanting us to get at. Theologian uh, N.T. Wright put it like this when he wrote about what Jesus was saying and doing when he proclaimed that the kingdom of God came in him. The key thing to note is that the in-breaking kingdom Jesus was announcing created a new world, a new context. And Jesus was challenging his hearers to become the new people that the new context demanded, citizens of a new world. And that is what becoming a Christian is largely about. That through Jesus Christ, we become not just a safe people, but a new people. And as a new people, what do we mainly do? Well, we attend church for life. No, we join him in the work of forging a new world like the one Isaiah 61 so eloquently speaks of. That's part of what the Gospels and Jesus have always been about, the recreation of life through Jesus Christ, the recreation of human worth and flourishing, the recreation of human relationships and justice and godliness, the recreation of shalom. Bottom line, the core idea of shalom is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these are out of alignment or missing, like when our relationships with friends or coworkers, spouses, kids or fellow church members even are shredded and fragmented, or when the relationships between races or genders breaks down, or when, when we see polluted and, and degradation going on in God's creation, it means life as God intended has fallen into disintegration. Now needless to say, one doesn't have to read very much of the news and see that our world is seriously fragmented. And it seems that often the world's solutions are only creating more fragmentation and division. Public discourse, now even at presidential debates, has broken down into shout-fests and trading insults. Fragmentation and division is in every nook and cranny of our culture. So, my question is, what will be the response, the response of the people of the shalom-making God to such disintegration? In our response to the fragments of society, Are we running? Are we spectating? Or are we committed to bringing God's shalom? When we look at our broken world, are we cynically throwing up our hands in resignation at all the divisive strife we see? Or even worse, are we contributing to the fragmentation? Look, let me ask you something really honest here. Do our emails to each other, the tweets we forward, or those videos we always want to encourage other people to watch, do they contribute to the growing division of society? Or do they help heal it? Are we creating enemies where God has none or fighting battles that God is not in? Or are we Christians, we disciples of the Prince of Peace, stepping into the strife and courageously bringing healing to such fragmentation? Now, by now, you're probably thinking, OK, so that's the big picture. But what is ministry? What service for folks like me who work a very secular job in a very secular world? Well, let me give you a very brief definition of what biblical ministry is. To put it succinctly, ministry is bringing divine purposes and action into the human experience. That's it in a nutshell. Bringing divine purposes and actions into the human experience. And that's not only done or perhaps not even mostly done by sermons or professional ministers like me. It's mostly done by those who are watching this sermon right now. It's done in a million different small actions in some very non-church settings. Let me share one incident that recently happened that really inspired me. I'm hiking on a trail one day and a few people are on it, just very few people. And I'm really loving, you know, the the beauty that is Hawaii. And just then I see this large plastic cup, you know, one of those big ones that still has coffee in it, you know. And at this horrible sight, I launch into this whole internal soliloquy of what I thought about this Nimrod who could do such a thing. As I waxed eloquent in my mind about what a horrible person it was whoever did this, it never occurred to me to actually go over there and pick up the darn cup. Well, as I'm long into my self-righteous rants, a couple of petite ladies about my age come down the mountain. And as they're talking about this and that with each other, one woman, without missing a beat, sees the cup, simply walks over to the cup, picks it up, and starts carrying it down the hill. Now, greatly impressed, I immediately shouted to her, hey, thanks for doing that. And both these ladies just smiled and shrugged their shoulders as if to communicate, well, what else do you do when you find rubbish on a trail? And I'm thinking, well, you could just stand here like me, spectating with cynicism and do absolutely nothing. That's what you can do. I was really convicted. It got me thinking. How many other times do I see the shalom of God taking a hit and spectate with cynicism, spectate about the lack of godly discipleship in the church, spectate about the lack of shalom between the races, between the genders, between the rich and the poor, et cetera, et cetera. Needless to say, on that mountain trail, I was impressed, I was humbled, and I was inspired by that small act of shalom by these ladies. In fact, they impacted me so much that now... I'm committed not only to carrying my journal in my backpack when I go hiking, but to take a trash bag with me as well so I can create a little more shalom on a trail by the time I finish than when I started. Look, part of my point is this. Even something like, like picking up pollution from a hiking trail is an act of divine work, which brings divine purposes and action into the human experience. And God uses it all to use it to heal the world that is in pieces. We can run from it, we can spectate with cynicism, or we can actually commit to do shalom. You know, it's funny, when I ask people how they often serve in ministry, I hear this word, just, in their reply. Oh, I just do greeting ministry. I just do help with the food pantry. I just homeschool my kids. I just take care of my elderly parents. Folks, when you serve in such ways, you are bringing divine purposes and action into human existence and as much, maybe even as more, than I do as Reverend Steve Page. Look, I want you to know that there's never a just in your service for God. Again, the lion's share of God's mission is not done by professional missionaries and ministers like me, but by people like you who fill our pews, people who will never go to seminary, never have the title pastor. And let me be honest, you know, repeatedly Gallup polls show that the most trusted profession in America are nurses. Nurses. For many years, over 80% of the people in the United States say that nurses are trustworthy people. And by contrast, by contrast, only 42% say pastors are trustworthy. In fact, police officers, school teachers, pharmacists, and the like are all ranked higher in trust, honesty, and ethics than pastors. So, who do you think people are more likely to open up to when they hear the gospel? Me or you? So again, please understand, your place as a Christian in this world is not only to fill the pews or to attend church events or or run second fiddle to pastors. You are the prime instruments of the kingdom of God. Now, let me turn to more particulars of service and ministry. First, it's really important to know how God has shaped you and, and designed you and gifted you. Whether you're 18 or 80, you have unique gifts and skills and knowledge and wisdom and experiences that can be full of service to God's kingdom work of shalom. Now, these include your spiritual gifts as well as your natural abilities, abilities and skills. Now, there are at least five places in the New Testament that talk about spiritual gifts. I just want to look at one. Here in 1 Peter 4, it says this. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. That's a big charge to preachers. Do you have the gift of helping others? Well, do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then, now get this, then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ and glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. note of a few things here. First, each of you has been given a spiritual gift by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, I know people define spiritual gifts in a lot of different ways, but here's how I define it. A spiritual gift is any talent or ability which is empowered by the Holy Spirit, one, to build up the body of Christ for ministry to its members and through its members to serve the world. For example, although some of you might think differently at the present moment, I have come to understand that God has graced me with the abilities that are speaking in nature, preaching, teaching, what have you. But let me assure you, these were not a part of my life prior to being a Christian. Trust me, there was not a soul on earth who would have pegged me to be a preacher for a lot of reasons. But here I am, nonetheless, by the grace of God, a preacher of God. Now, I use these gifts especially in the church, but God has given me scores of opportunity to use them beyond the church. After some 20 years in the ministry, I got involved in fighting human trafficking here in Hawaii. And that led me to speak publicly in many neighborhood board meetings, non-Christian conferences, and even at a couple of bars on Hotel Street. You know, I spoke before politicians, leaders of the police force, FBI agents, college students, professors, and a host of folks that you see and work with every day. And it helped in part to raise the awareness of the problem here in our state and to bring wholeness to women who suffer so much. And I tell these stories not to pat myself on the back, but because of what Peter says when he wrote that we can use our gifts to bring glory to God in everything we do. Listen to one Christian leader as he comments on this very issue. A kingdom of God theology is not content with mission being church-based work. Rather, it applies to the whole life of every believer. Every disciple is an agent of the kingdom of God and every disciple is to carry the mission of God, shalom of God, into every sphere of life. Folks, when we really get what God is up to in this world about shalom and when we understand our place in his plans for shalom, we discover that with God there is no such thing as sacred and then secular. Why? Because I, as a Christian, always Bring the sacred. Sacred spaces and sacred work arise not because I walk into a church, but because I bring the purposes and the power and the values and the character of God to bear on the way I work, the way I do business, the way I interact with and listen to my fellow workers, or the way I coach a team or run a staff meeting or enjoy my book club. Point is, your office cubicle is just as an important place, just as a spiritual place, as any church sanctuary, if we bring divine purposes and action into the human experience. Now, some may be thinking, well, how do you go about finding your spiritual gifts and unique ministry? Well, there's a lot we can say about this, but let me just offer three things for you just today. Take your spiritual gift test, talk to other trusted Christians about what they think your gifts are, and take risks and explore things that you've never, ever done before. All right, first, spiritual gifts. I want to recommend a good spiritual gifts test. It, it, we used it recently in our men's ministry, and it was very helpful. It's called the GPS assessment. Now, GPS stands for gifts, passion, and stories. Now, you can take the test at this address that you see on your screen. The GPS helps you discern your place in God's kingdom work, not only by exploring your gifts and passions, but also by how your story, your journey in life, has uniquely forged something in you which God can use as ministry. Let me be clear. Uh, These sorts of tests are not the end-all, okay? They're just one element that will help you find your ministry for the Lord. They're not the end-all and be-all, like I say. But one of the most significant things that you can do in discerning your gifts is to have very open and honest discussions with Christians that you know and trust. I should add here, you know, be careful of speaking to people who find it difficult to speak truthfully to you. I can't tell you how many folks are in ministries or in professions that should not be in there because because no one's really been honest with them, that they shouldn't be there. I mean, how many of us know school teachers and managers or therapists uh, who are really horrible at it, or even preachers who should never step behind a pulpit? Well, how did they get there? Well, a lot of reasons, but in part, it probably included Not having some people really speak the truth about their strengths and their weaknesses. I have been very fortunate to have had friends and mentors and supervisors who were able to speak the truth to me. On the one hand, they often saw more in me than I could see in myself. But they were also honest about my limitations. So your discernment process to discover your gifts in ministry needs the honest input of other people. And as you've heard me say before, we need it because you cannot know yourself by yourself. Now, lastly, just get out there and try stuff. Don't wait and wait and wait till a lightning bolt hits you from heaven and go out and do something. As the saying goes, a car is easier to steer when it's not in park, right? So take risks. Be willing to make mistakes and fall flat on your face. You know, sometimes your gifts and kingdom abilities or the lack of abilities and gifts Only become apparent, they become obvious through various lived experiences. You know, one of the first paid ministries I've ever tried was uh, teaching English as a second language in a refugee camp in Southeast Asia. Now, you know what? I was really terrible at it. But along the way, as you've heard me say many other times, I discovered my gifts and abilities to preach and to minister to people cross-culturally but I only discovered such things as I was failing miserably as an ESL teacher. Now, part of my point here is I just didn't wake up one morning and there it all was, this clear understanding of my gifts or my passion or my skillfulness of being a preacher or a counselor. It took me a while and a roundabout pathway to find my calling for my particular way of kingdom service in the world. Now, that being said, We don't need to go through a long journey of discovering and sharpening our gifts to start to begin making an impact. Even if you don't have a clue as to what your spiritual gifts are, we can still find ways to serve by regularly praying a very simple prayer that I was taught and I still use to this day. And it's simply this. Lord, lead me today to someone whom I can serve. I promise you, you pray that, God is going to answer that prayer. You know, as author Sally Koch has written, great opportunities to help others seldom come, but small ones surround us daily. So ask God to open your eyes, open your heart to the small opportunities that surround you daily. Now, there's a whole lot more we can say about this, but we're going to have to leave it here. So let me ask, where are you today? What is your place? What is your response to the fragments of our society? We run Will you spectate in cynicism or will you commit to being used by God to be an instrument of peace, of shalom amid the shattered places, the shattered places in your office, your neighborhood, your family, your friends? Will you commit to using even in small, less spectacular ways the gifts, the skills, the education, the finances that God has graced you with? Now, as I close, I want to address the most significant division and fragmentation we experience as a human being and that is being divided from God. Of all the shalom we've been speaking about today, if we don't get this shalom right, we will suffer most severely and eternally. Are you in that place right now where your life, your emotional, relational, and professional world is in pieces? Is your heart and soul fragmented, fractured by the stresses and strains of life? Are you needing the shalom of Jesus to turn your ashes into beauty and your despair into praise? If so, I would invite you to pray with me to let Jesus come fully into your life. So let's take a moment right now and let's bow our heads and pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, you call us into something so great, so wonderful, so beautiful. When you look at this world, you don't just see fragments and shredded pieces. Lord, you see a hope for a better future. I pray that you would give us your eyes, your heart for a tattered and shattered world, Lord, and, and, and encourage us and gift us and lead us into ways and in how we can be part of healing the broken places, of helping people turn ashes into beauty and despair. And to praise, show us, Lord, in big and in small ways, how do we become part of bringing divine purposes into the human condition? And Father, for those who want to give their life to You, I, if that's You, I, I want I want you to just follow me in, in these simple words of, of, of and when you offer your heart to the Lord, just pray just pray these words after me, Lord Jesus, I need You. I confess the brokenness of my life without you. Forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. And as best as I know how, I commit my life to you. Come and fill me with your spirit today. In the gracious and powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, before I give the blessing today, let me just say thanks again to all of you for joining us. We are so glad that you're able to worship with us today. And again, if you've just given your life to Jesus, I want to invite you to hit that yes button uh, in the chat area. And remember, if you want to extend this discussion about what we've sung about today, prayed about today, learned about today, then join us in a digital discussion or digital connect group right after service. Just hit the link that's in the chat area and you'll be taken right into that online forum. Also, be sure to check our website to see if there's any opportunities where you can serve in and through First Pres. So for now, please receive this blessing. May you know and experience the deep love and shalom of God in your life and in your relationships. And may God fill you with all his strength, power, and wisdom as he calls and guides you to be an instrument of his peace in the world. And may he give you the courage to neither run from or spectate in cynicism about the fragmented world we live in. But may you commit your life in every way to be, to be a shalom maker. To God be all the glory. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us and we'll see you next time. Aloha.
0: Every little thing we do in Jesus' name is ministry and service. We are all ministers of the shalom of God. If you'd like to hear this sermon again, you can listen to and download this and other sermons from the First Pres website, fpchawaii.org. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Normally, we meet Sundays at our Ko'olau campus or at The Vine in Kakaako, But during this COVID season, you can find the entire church service streamed online on the church website, fpchawaii.org or thevinehawaii.org. For our virtual church service, click the online church box at our regular church service times. Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30 and 11.11 for First Pres, and Sunday afternoon at 4 p.m. for The Vine. Be sure to check your email for links to sermons, church news and updates and daily devotionals. If you have any questions or needs, you can always reach the church through the website or just call 808-532-1111. For Pastor Dan Chan and the entire staff at First Pres, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you, stay safe, and thank you for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2020 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu.